0: Welcome back to the Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, capital markets analyst and host of your cannabis business podcast. Today we've got Aaron Bossett. Mm-hmm. He is founder and CEO of Axum. Aaron, thanks for being on the Talking Hedge.
1: Man, thanks for having me, Josh. Appreciate you uh, inviting me on.
0: Yeah, appreciate it. We're gonna talk about um, uh, kind of some some stuff that you're involved with, but before we get into the Washington State Liquor Cannabis Board or whatever else, this conversation mm-hmm. more into e-commerce and all kinds of other uh Important topics, I would say. Uh, First off, just tell us about yourself, how you got involved into the cannabis space, maybe what Axiom is, all that good stuff.
1: Cool, 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 man. Well, first things first, again, thanks for having me. Appreciate it a lot. Um, Shoot, let me see. Let me just start at the beginning. Uh, Name's Aaron Bossett, uh, born and raised, Seattle native. Um, Went to elementary, middle school, high school in Seattle, went to Washington State University like a true unicorn, like full on Seattle um from here grown here right like those people don't exist i'm actually one of them (laughs) it's a rare a rare thing right and part of old seattle's culture was cannabis like way back in the day was a big you know blue collar community um our city that would ebb and flow construction work you know fisheries warehousing and all the big things back in the day to subsidize income a lot of people grew and sell weed around here you could sell dollar joints they would call them lids you could buy weed and matchboxes. you could go to certain corner stores and get it um and so I just kind of always grew up around it was never like the big weed pusher this guy no but I always was around good cannabis my whole life like to me it was just normal um I really I remember early in life one time sitting there as Nancy Reagan was just saying just trying to tell us to say no and we're in a trim party and i'm like you know what all these people are cool you can't tell me these are bad people like (laughs) so i grew up in it and then i watched it go from this illicit market to the medical market and then that's kind of when i hopped in back in like 2008 2009 when medical was taken off um and kind of just saw a niche market saw like holy crap there's this thing that's about to go legal but my guys, black men are not getting involved. So it was like, I started getting involved more on the social equity side. I was approached by actually Tanya Winchester um, who was part of the 502, 502 bill. And her question to me was, where's the black people? And I was like, look, I don't support this bill because it doesn't address the war on drugs. It doesn't address anything um, to help you know, victims of the war on drugs now become an entrepreneur or an enterprise inside of a legal industry that was once illegal. That was 2012 when we had that conversation. In 2021, we still have nothing. There's no pathway, right? So I've been involved in, on the backside, um, I never really wanted a cannabis license. I was more into like the capital fundraising side, the data side, uh, understanding that branding is gonna be key volume. is a volume industry, not just a, cause I sell good weed industry. I understood that a long time ago. And I got involved with a bunch of different projects um, with you know big projects, South Africa, Jamaica, um, down in Florida and Orlando, they were going to try to go legal. I did some stuff in Frisco. I'm working with a social equity equity group down in San Diego right now, who actually, they have a very good social equity plan about to pop off to everybody. Very good plan. Um, And then that led me, all that those adventures led me back to the state of Washington to say that, you know, why haven't we addressed this yet? Why, where's, what's the issue? Why is there an issue? How come we can't address this? And then still to this day, Uh, The LCB has done nothing, so I ended up standing in this lane of social equity, um, kind of by accident, not by choice, Um, just kind of natural organic pathways, conversations, being in the industry early, um, meeting Tanya Winchester early, right after they wrote the 502 law, having these conversations led me into this path of social equity, and walking down that path of social equity also leads you into a whole lot of other things, right, so it taught me one, politics, like, yo, I don't think civics, civics actually needs to be taught in school. Like I'm a firm believer of that now because I was in my forties before I truly understood how politics works. Like you get, you get the base level of it, right? So legal weed led me into politics, which led me into data analytics, which led me into understanding all these different business structures and cooperative ownerships and, you know, all these big things that society needs. And then for me, it was, I got to a point in 2019 when they created what they call the house bill 2870, whatever the social equity tax bill was that they passed in 2019 or 2020 that they had the task force this year is just like, you know, I kind of just washed my hands and it was like, this isn't going anywhere. It's, it's going to be, it's just another mess. It's just another blockade. It's just another way for the people who created the mess to never be held accountable or never even want to be or reconcile what they have done wrong. And you see, this, you see these fights, and you see these struggles, and you know if you come from the illicit market like I did into which now became a tax market, the illicit market was way more truthful and honest because honest, an, an honesty, and untruthfulness would get you killed. But in the legal industry, it's backstabbing, it's it's all these things, and you realize how in politics that plays out because there's a lot of people greasing pockets and being in positions to stay in positions of power versus trying to actually create a real industry. It's a weird thing um, coming from my perspective, right? From the from the social equity side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's led me into what I believe is the true creation of a social equity plan for the state of Washington. And it has to do with like e-commerce, it has to do with data, it has to do with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, not Bitcoin in general, but just cryptocurrencies, blockchain contracts, um, small scale farmers, um, farmers markets, consumers delivery. And pretty much there's a couple of people in the state of Washington who are just delivered the, the building it and doing it themselves. And it's a small, it's a small scale and a small test market, but they had no choice but to do it. And then,
0: I mean, it's obvious was,
1: you need to wait, wait. get
0: to that point eventually, right? Because there's, there's this lack of progress. And I feel you on getting to the point where you draft a bill, you find support and then it goes nowhere. You know, I, I wrote a bill for, um, overturning that felony on consumption lounges to get cannabis cafes. And then you, you spend the time to write it and then you submit it and then you get senators and house reps involved. And then all of a sudden it goes nowhere. Cause it's not a priority, you know, the pandemic hits or whatever else that gets it shoved right. off to the side. And then you're like, well, you know what, forget it. I'm just going to have my own. I'm going to do pop-ups. I'm going to do what I need to do. Um, mm-hmm. this point where you're like, I'm, I'm over it. Um, so I, when I was researching all of those bills for consumption a lot of those places had um, social equity bills written in like Illinois but you have zero social equity licenses and a uh, something like a hundred million dollars in revenue from a billion dollars in sales and no equity licenses and all the while you have a conviction over in Massachusetts from the mayor or governor mayor I think who um, was selling licenses for $250,000 to whoever could afford it. Right. Yeah. So you have this corruption, you have this um, systemic issue where nobody wants to move forward with it. They talk a big game about social equity. And so at some point, you, I don't know how you get them to make it a priority, but it sounds to me like you're just moving forward without them.
1: Yeah, I mean, it really comes to a point where, one, they can't even define what social equity is, right? Like, if you understand the coded language of our policy system, right, you cannot, the war on drugs, we we have documentation, we have all these things that said who the target of the war on drugs was, Black men. This is, we don't have to come up with conspiracy theories, we can go dig the files out, we can do this. But yet, we cannot use the terminology Black men in social equity because you can't use race as a determination for who benefits from things. Mm-hmm. So now you're stuck in this conundrum of you have people who come from a non- non-law and policy background trying to create a policy word with jurisprudence for law and it makes no sense. And then they sit back and go, well, if you can't fix it, we can't do nothing for you. And then they can't define social equity either in understanding that social simply means everyone and equity means ownership. So why is there not pathways to ownership, not just creating good workers, right? The slaves participated in the building of America too, right? Like they never got the benefit. So why? what's the pathway just to getting black people into a cannabis industry, but not creating owners, right? And I think when you start talking on those levels, it puts a lot of people in defense versus them taking the, defense, the, taking the stance of, you know what? Let me take the stance to learn. Right. And then you get these power players and this greed and this corruption and these egos and all these other things placed. And one thing that I've never spoke about me personally, I've only spoke about community because it represents so many different people. Right. And I think a lot of people, especially in the state of Washington, a lot of people don't want to hear this. But Washington has got to be. And by far, if you talk to the black community in the state of Washington, will tell you it's one of the most racist states in all of America because they act like it's not. They tell you that it's not, oh, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not this, it's not that, it's not you, it's you, it's you, it's you. And it's like, I don't know, And man. You know, Washington will lynch black people through policy over and over and over and over again. And it comes to a point where like, you know what? How many times do we gotta get punched in the face as a community? How many times do we gotta keep going back? How many times? And it just comes to a position where it's like, you know, this is the most technologically advanced city in the world. We have Amazon, we have Microsoft, we have access to tech, we have legal cannabis. Why are the two not being married? So you start marrying those two, and under, in you know, in backroom situations and meeting at cafes, and understanding how you can create a community infrastructure in cannabis that yes, it is illegal, but through tech, the people have no choice but to do it. So they're kind of protecting themselves in other ways, you know, small scale farms, so on and so forth. And it's an unfortunate situation that if the state would want to work with people who are coming up with these kind of solutions on their own, imagine what the entire cannabis industry could be.
0: Well, as a black man, you're being gaslit by the, the folks, the representatives in Washington state. And so maybe the, the people in King County, you know, Seattle, greater area and all of Washington, um, you know, kind of believe what, what they're hearing and reading rather than really trying to go to the, the root cause. So maybe we just give the folks uh, an, a perfect example of the disparity, the, the missed opportunities, the corruption and uh, advantage you know, that people get taken advantage of even right now. High times as yeah. in California, there was an issue with a social equity applicant um, down in California. And it, it involved the High Times when really it was a Washington State, um, have a heart that have company, a heart, have a heart yeah. sold that license to High Times. And yet, so what happened was there was a social equity applicant, and the folks over at, at have a heart uh, went to one of these social equity applicants and bought them out. And, right. and it was, I, th- I believe it was two black men, and one of them didn't even know about what was happening, the other one, yeah, not at all, took the money and ran. So even with the social equity applicants people say, oh, we have social equity. Well, do you have you followed through? Do you really know what's happening? How many licenses are being issued and if they're being sold unfairly?
1: Yeah, there's I mean, there's all those things. Right. I think New Leaf in Portland probably has the best program, but it's so such a small scale. It's like three percent of or whatever percentage of sales within the city of Portland goes back to cannabis, Black-owned cannabis businesses uh, incubator fund like to get businesses started, right? And and one of the big things about that is when you talk about have a part is one of the people who did that sits on the social equity board task force for the state of Washington. Mm. And when you call these things out, you get called the villain by saying, hey, look, this man went to Oakland, screamed social equity, but then took advantage of two disadvantaged people under the guise of social equity to get himself a license. How can he sit on the board as the Social Education Task Force for the state of Washington, which is an 18-seat panel, but it has no Black men. Raph Hollingsworth is the only one, right? And he's so busy working, he is not accountable to the community or can relay information to the community because he's struggling as a Black cannabis farmer in the state of Washington. So to put that burden on him to say that he is now the face of task force, because we have one Black man on an 18-seat task force, but yet you have have a heart, you have what, two GOP members that were already are anti-everything we're doing mm. um, and just being blockades to it. So when you start talking about social equity and the policy side in the state of Washington, it'll never happen, not from a poly- policy perspective. And it's not going to happen until the people on the streets, the people on the ground, the people who need it, the, the, the medical patients who need it, right? The, the black folks who want in, the natives who were locked out, the Mexicans who were locked out, or Spanish speaking people that were locked out, right? In Eastern Washington, who were also high victims of the war on drugs, right? we are almost forgot about in all of this conversation. And being a black man in this situation, you have to be cognizant of all these different people that need in. And you can protect these social like equity license by creating true community licenses. I'm big on like branding and licensing at this point. I don't think a store is a pathway. I don't think all these other things. I think if you take the community, if you think about like a Coca-Cola plant, they produce 300 different bottles out of one plant. You could do that same thing with cannabis facilities, right? Use those, make them co-op owned, meaning the owners, the workers of the facilities are just pumping out different brands that they don't own. The facility is just a facility to process. And then you also use those brands outside of, and this is where the LCB can, they're going to really love me for this one is that I've already started getting out of state money. We have an equity fund or we have a, a capital fund that we're getting money to create branded uh, black brands because we're only the branding company. So we just have licensing agreements with these processing facilities. We no longer need 502 or the LCB's approval to do anything. We didn't need it before, but we tried to work with them and it, it's just not going to happen. So now we have a couple contracts going in place with a bunch of processors to get black brands on shelves. And, and we have the involved.
0: Is it is it a timing issue? Is it a lack of resources? Is it not a priority? What is your opinion on why they didn't want to get involved when you were trying to initiate and get this started?
1: Oh man, you know, I think Washington has a true deep history of racism that they don't want to admit that exists, and they don't ever want to admit it exists. It's easier to say that it's not it's not me, it's you, right? Versus yes, we set up red red-lined, redlined communities that only Black people could live in; they couldn't live out. And then we targeted those communities with drugs and and, uh, high police rates. And so you have high crime numbers in communities simply because of targeted policy, right? You now move, this was back in the 70s and the 80s and the 60s. Now you fast forward to the 2000s. And now you have these people who sit in these policy positions who don't want to take accountability for bad policy and just create more bad policy. They don't say, you know what, that was a fucked up racial thing. They go, no, it wasn't racism. No, it wasn't this. No, it wasn't that. They'll say everything but what it was and walk away from it. They do not want to ever, ever, ever say, we fucked up in how we set this up. How can we help get you in? Nobody. There's not, I mean, you have a licensing agency that created an 18 seat passports to tell a licensing agency how to give out licenses. Somebody make that make sense. Mm-hmm. Your whole job is you have a salary paid position to give out licenses, but you created an 18 seat panel of volunteers. Come on, man. You don't want to address this. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So you're looking at um, branding and quality, or is it branding versus quality? You know, that I always said, which is kind of controversial, that branding in the cannabis space is not a thing yet because people are just looking at what's the highest THC at the lowest price point. Yep traditionally people are looking at price and convenience and that's how they make their purchasing decisions. And also then there's a commercial and they're like, oh, okay, I relate to that. But I think that's a very, very mature market where you can see a brand, see a commercial and then relate to it and then want to buy it. Where, where are you at with cannabis and, and the commodity itself? Is it more about the quality or branding? And is that where you're going with black cannabis and taking uh, out of state? funding to to facilitate that drive?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, like you just said, I think one, when the industry started, it was more about what's the THC level? Can I get high? All this hippie stay to it mentality, right? We didn't move past that. And I think we've now matured. And I think the biggest thing that cannabis is missing in, in, in all across the nation is the storytelling piece, the experience, right? It's one thing to say you have the best weed, but prove it because what's One person, was good to one is what's good, not not good to the other. Nobody's doing the storytelling. Nobody's doing actually branding. And then they're not taking the time to use different avenues to brand and get the story of their brand out there, right? It's we sell weed, we sell weed, we sell weed. I think Burner's probably doing a good job with cookies, but past cookies, I mean, and that's just a brand. I think there's ways that you can tell stories and sell experiences. Like what's the black woman's experience with cannabis? We haven't heard that yet. We don't know how a black woman likes to kick back at the in the end of the day with her friends and smoke some tree and talk about how life is affecting them right we haven't seen any of that type of marketing we haven't seen any of those type of materials we haven't seen any of those type of experiences or stories told in cannabis it's really been a lopsided story so i believe that in black cannabis almost like everything else rap hip-hop everything i remember when rap music wasn't played but you can turn on uh, a, a mercedes Benz commercial now and rap music's being played right like so I think that you're also looking in that the cannabis industry is stale, stale, stale because of these lack of opportunities for so many different people to get in. It's really been about the rich. And I, don't, I think that's a real classist system versus a racist system. I think it all plays together. But I think Black cannabis in itself tells a different story than cannabis has seen. And I think through social media avenues, there's no way that the, the influence of those stories being told won't be felt by the people... That, that need to fill it black women, black men, black community, you know in you know harmful people, bipoc, LGBTQ, all these different things, right the, uh, WTF, all these different you know pronouns and people, those stories have to be told for them too not just hey, it's young, get high, smoke weed almost like Bar- Marlboro branding like that's kind of where cannabis is now, this real stale generic branding and I think you start seeing more storytelling, you start seeing a better a better, understanding of cannabis from the, the consumer side, like what is good weed? What is high ITHC mean? What is those things? And I think those storytellings from these different people will help mature the entire industry quickly too, I believe.
0: Yeah. We'll see a combination of, you know, stupid marketing. I mean, I can't believe to this day, we're still seeing a lawsuit from Skittles suing Z- 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 Skittles or however you say it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was funny in 2015 when you were ripping off Hershey's, but right. already lawsuits. So, I mean, that's yeah. ridiculous that we, you would even do that. Um, you know, but uh, I don't know. I digress. Um, uh Social, you brought you brought up San Diego, and that was a good model. I'm curious yeah. why.
1: Um, so I've I've been working with this group out of San Diego, and um, I've worked with a bunch of different groups. I worked briefly with a group out of Chicago. I worked with people out of Portland, San uh, San Francisco, Oakland, Orlando, New York, Philly, and these uh these in New Jersey, and it was just getting things going. There's something about this group in San Diego that is amazing that I haven't seen before. Is the way that they have a connection with the policy, the policy uh, makers, right? So their their county, the San Diego Board County commissioners is leaning on them to say, hey, look, you guys give us the plan. You tell us what's the best thing. Don't let us tell you. And then they're working hand in hand, which you don't see anywhere. You see the San Diego City Council working with the social equity groups to develop the plan. And what San Diego is doing is getting a community based um, idea for what's best and what works best for them, right? Um, You have transportation barriers, you have the same things everywhere that don't get played into these social equity plans. And the way that this, uh, it's paving great futures is building the social equity plan and they have buy in with the San Diego County commissioners, they have buy in with the city council. So they have a really good solid base of people from organizational on the ground all the way up to the policy and that's something you haven't seen before. Um, and there's big power, you know. There's attorneys involved that can come up with the words for jurisprudence, right? Versus a guy like me saying, "Hey, do it," right? Like, yeah. so it's a it's a wonderful thing to watch, like how they're actually maneuvering. They've gone around and they've gotten um, some of the best social equity thing, because there were some very good things that came out of the L.A. social equity plan, and some very bad things. There were some good things that came out of the Oakland one, the Richmond, Sacramento. And what they've done is gone and find all the good and talk to the power players in all of those social equity plans. And they've, they're they using that collective IP to design this plan in San Diego, which looks like it'll be real community-based. Um, and almost, uh, it'll I, we haven't worked through the rest, but it's going to be real community-based ownership uh, type models. It's actually really cool. It's Funding sweet. will come <laughs> from other things.
0: I was going to say, it's nice to have it from the top, from the top down from regulators helping, but like you mentioned earlier on, it also needs to come from the community and when you have, Mm -hmm. you know, individuals that are just wanting to uh, take advantage of other people, uh, rich people squashing anybody they can, you know, there was an example recently of burner, you know, uh, his cookies brand Oregon taking advantage of Jesse Horton. Uh, yeah another black farmer uh, basically yeah. taking, taking uh, his Jesse Horton strain and changing the name on it uh, and it was a rare cultivar it took Jesse two years to find that and then mm-hmm. he just changed the name didn't even tell him didn't pay for it and then you know had still had his company on there loud so he's like what where's my money? what happened to the strain all this stuff so um, good on burner after you know thousands of people were, bashing him in corporate, you know, call him corporate cannabis and this and that. So he, Berner actually reached out, I think, personally to Jesse, and, and they're going to squash that and hopefully take those proceeds and, and set up something for black farmers in Portland as well. Um, but it, yeah, like, you know, it's got to come from top down and bottom up. Uh, otherwise, it's just not going to work.
1: Yeah, it's just not. And I think too, I think one thing, big thing for me is being being involved in this since 2009, looking at all these different models from, that haven't worked. Like you said, everybody's used the word, but haven't passed it. As like the one big thing is I don't think top up, the top down doesn't understand how traumatized the bottom is, right? And how, how hard it is to bring a group of people together that are still in the state of Washington, 80% of all cannabis arrest, like, which is mind blowing. Like we've pulled We've pulled numbers and I've been showing numbers from other people who are tracking. There was seven arrests or 15 arrests of black men for growing with less than 15 plants that can result in felonies. But there was a hundred arrests of white growers with a hundred plants or more that resulted in nothing. Wow. So, you know, it's like, yo, we gotta gotta stop the top downs, gotta stop this constant pressure on the bottom to say, hey, you can get in, but then they still got their guns pointed at them at the same time. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa.
0: Yeah, man. So that's got to, you know, push out a, a lot more. Um, it's going to create, <laughs> it's basically going to squeeze out a lot of ideas, right? So you've mm-hmm. got an idea of e-commerce when you get pushed down and you kind of have this rubber band effect, um, when you kind of have to back up so much. I know for me with the cafes, I just did pop-ups. I was like, you know what, I, this is, this is what did uh, Thomas Jefferson say? If there's a, a law that's not only unjust, it's it's um, not only your your obligation to disobey, but your duty to do so. Something to yeah. that effect, you know? Yeah, yeah And that's just yeah. how I felt, but that was white <laughs> privilege on my part, being able to run out and just do what I wanted to do. I wasn't even worried about getting arrested. And to this right, day, right. I look forward to a $27 smoking in public ticket so I can laminate it, and put it on my fridge. I don't <laughs> have to worry about felonies, you know? So yeah. somebody like yourself is coming up against the same issues and you're tired of it. You wanna move forward. And you've kind of created this e-commerce platform that you've got some some Webos, my friends, because you know, after the Silk Road thing and and whatever else, um, that's pretty ballsy.
1: But we don't have a choice though. I mean that's kind of where it gets to, right? I mean, you have the LCB, and then you know, a lot of people got upset because of of whatever reason I don't really care anymore, is that you have the LCB who who sits there and stands on this position of social equity right, and says they want to do this. But at the same time, what people don't understand is that just a couple of weeks ago, there was a raid in the state of Washington where 40 black men were arrested, 40 black men only, no Asians, no white men, no women, no Spanish speaking people, nobody of any other descent. And it all broke down to cannabis. But if you look at the media press release that came from SBD, they'll tell you that it was drugs and all these other things, dangerous criminals. And it's like, hold on, wait a minute. The LCB's role in that one day when I called it out was, we don't have nothing to do with it, to the next day saying, yeah, we were involved, to the next day saying, yeah, we busted three processors, or two processors that were involved in it. But yet, we don't know the name of those processors. We don't know who was busted. But 40 Black men were targeted and arrested for basically weed. But then it's all masked through guns and drugs and this. These men were all over 40. There's not that many 40-year-old gang members. Mm. Right? And so you look at these press releases and these are what's happening real time right now. And when the LCB gets held accountable, what does Ollie do? Claim victim. and says she doesn't like the pressure. Right? But Ollie, you're sitting there as a human being who claims to care about a community you have no accountability to, when you're told she's going to be held accountable, she goes running to the same people who victimize the community. She doesn't come to the community to say, hey, what do we need to do? What do we need to stop? Right? So From the top down, this social equity thing and the LCB's role is very predatory against the black community. So we had no choice. I'm willing to take those charges. I'm willing to go to prison for my community because we have no choice. And all we wanna do is pay our taxes and make legal money. But because of the oppressive system that's set up, there's zero pathways in, none. So it's it's a fucked up thing, right? And you you got Washington State Patrol still checking Uh, money for legal weed, but that legal weed money should be coming to the Black community in form of education, in business incubator programs, all kinds of different things. But the police force is getting legal weed money to enforce weed laws in a legal weed state against Black people only. Mm. But the LCB doesn't want to talk about that. So, I mean, we didn't have a choice. And it's just one of those things, it's fucked up situation to have to be in and live. And it's not fun to have to live in that way. But at the end of the day, man, people need to eat. Mm. And the only thing that stops them is a piece of paper that the state of Washington can give them, nothing else. It's not a big thing. It's like, there's this whole industry you have existing but you have this whole other community from the medical side to the black community that need in and they just can't get in. Patients can't get medicine. People can't grow to get patients medicine. Black people can't do anything to get in but then other than be consumers or security guards.
0: Right. So tell me about your, your solution.
1: Oh Man, my solution is simple. It's we have created basically ghost businesses and ghost, you know, ghost things where if you get into the network with you, there's a simple little menu that there's a, and that's just the ordering pieces. So there's a simple little menu of people that people can order. There's flour, there's pre-rolls, things like that. You have a, just like you said, a pop-up cafe that kind of rotates around that if you're in the network, you get to know about. Um, there's people that are using um because they're in it they're using the pop-up models and this and that and bouncing around for the edible brands we've got a lot of edible brands going um coming out of the black community that are phenomenal people cooking amazing shit like crazy stuff we haven't seen before in the cannabis space you have um uh, like the art and creative space right so a lot of the, the the black creators are holding art events but using cannabis as a as a meta as a way to you know sell their flowers at these art events there's um basically small-scale farmer's markets, four or five people. And it's just people doing these small little mom-and-pop things that survive, just enough to make enough money to pay bills for the end of the year, right, or the end of the month. Um, And my solution is right now, that's the illicit side. But but on the legal side, we're creating cannabis brands. And we're just getting contracts signed with processors to start putting brands on shelves in selected areas, too. It's not like we're just going to use that. We're also going to use that in tech. To figure out what is the best brands for sale through, and not just create brands off of feel and emotions. Like here's the actual products. I mean that that are actually selling and moving, and you know, not just hey, this sounds like a good idea. So it's it's a very multi pronged approach because I also have a big bike club that we're doing. We have a bookstore, we have a coffee shop, and none of those have to do with the cannabis, but they're just business creation, job creation opportunities for people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, outside of it, and then part of my goal is once these brands get going, and even if they're only Right now I'm looking at each brand is about four people um, because the processor takes on most of the work, the delivery, the, the thing, this really just creating the marketing, the branding, and, and the the other parts. So that's a small scale. And if you get four or five people, those create, that's those are my plan is 10 businesses that are owned by four people, that creates 40 new owners by the end of the year in the cannabis space that didn't exist prior.
0: That's awesome. And yeah. some of the issues that you might come up against, you mentioned the LCB not, not enjoying the out-of-state uh, capital. And the reason behind that is we have one of the more strict laws on out yeah. of capital that limits a company's ownership to 10% uh, yeah. from out-of-state. So it um, sounds like you're just kind of going with, from a branding standpoint and, and yeah. sort of so working your way around that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We're what? just doing licensing agreements. I mean, if there's no, there's the Washington state laws of licensing and our brand licensing is completely different. So we're not touching cannabis. So we're just a branding company.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, random question. Why is the best smelling cannabis in all of Washington state on third Avenue right across the street from the courthouse? <laughs> <laughs>
1: a multitude of things right That's what i'm talking yeah, about like they're not after, there yeah. every
0: single time
1: every hey yo yo i say it, i'll say it to this day illicit weed well i don't call it illicit but the illegal weed non-legal weed is still the best weed it is cared for It is grown differently they don't they're not into rushing a product out just to try to make money there's actually a care so the street, the weed, the, the street on the weeds, the excuse me, the weed on the street is actually really good. <laughs>
0: I, I don't want to be like that white bag walking up to a crowd of, of older black men and just being like, hey, this smells, It smells like fire. Can I buy a joint or something? I, mean, yeah. I want to know where they're getting it from because it's uh, really good stuff. So um, if anyone yeah, yeah. knows those folks, let me know.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'll give you the number. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: Yeah, um, I'm interested in, in what you've got going on. I'm, I'm supporting it, um, you know, frustrated as you are. And so if there's anybody that would like to support you, who would like to uh, learn some more, is there any um, social media links or, or anything that you want to to have, to include right now to, to throw out there as well as I'll put that in the description, in the show notes?
1: Um, you know, honestly, I'm in a position where the only support that I could use right now is just putting pressure on your policymakers to say cut the fucking shit mm-hmm. like open up pathways get rid of these task force that create six years of blockades it doesn't take a licensing agency to create a task force to tell them how to give out licenses that is mind-blowing mm-hmm. the support that the black community needs is not on social media it's real life right so i've kind of fallen away from the social media and this and that and that because you get a lot of empty talking and- You get a lot of signs in the front yard that say Black Lives Matter, but then, you know, like calls on the police because a black guy walking down the street type shit. Um, And it's like the support we need is more capital intensive to want to be able to do some things that are radically different. They're not going to be traditional. Hey, can we take an intern or can I hire a security guard or can I get a bud tender? No, 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 no. We need capital. We need people who are willing to do radically different shit. So. I mean, to reach me, just, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Messenger, whatever, Um, you can email me, mrbossat at um, Mm -hmm. gmail.com, for those personal, more intimate conversations versus the social media posts, or, hey, I I saw you, and I want to do something to help, because it feels good to you, but then when we start telling you the radically different things we need you to do, you get panicked, right, Mm -hmm. so it's, it's, I'm in a situation where I'm in a position where I'm just kind of, like, done with help. I don't know if that makes sense, and I appreciate everybody's support, but I think our support needs to come from more of of telling these policymakers to just fucking chill, because the amount of money that they're being that's being spent on still enforcing a legal law on a certain demographic of people, which they say is not racial, but we can tell it's racial through data, which is another story, right? It's the policymakers that need to stop with this bullshit. Mm-hmm. Stop funding the police. Stop giving the police power. Start holding the police accountable. They have the burden of professionalism that they don't ever seem to be held accountable to, right? And start using that funding to create pathways into not just the cannabis space, but business in general. How many ancillary businesses of the cannabis industry need to be created? Lean on your policymakers to cut this shit out. Yeah. In the digital age, you guys, it's so easy right now. Goodness God, hammer them. Hammer your policymakers right now
0: yeah easy to do uh yeah more action you know more soldiers getting some work done a lot less um you know lip service so and and money <laughs> so send some money um yeah <laughs> bitcoin or, or whatever else send, send some crypto uh um,
1: yeah send some doggy coins send some ethereum we'll take it off <laughs> yeah. cool yeah i'm big on that if you guys really wanted to if people want to you know put up we could create some seller uh bitcoin mines but that's another story right <laughs> <laughs> all right
0: another story for another day um yeah man being on the talking hedge with that i think we're gonna roll this one up i want to thank my guest aaron Bassett. said he's the founder ceo of axum and uh, obviously advocate and uh just uh, a hard-working man overall so appreciate you being on the talking hedge
1: yeah i appreciate letting you rub my liver lips all morning yeah yeah <laughs> all right
0: i'm josh kincaid this is the talking hedge don't forget to like share and subscribe or don't and i'm out don't forget to smash that like button on your way out Check out these other videos that we've got.
1: Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, y'all. I'm Joe, host of Casually Baked the Podcast. If you're curious to explore the highly responsible side of cannabis, farming, and legalization, I'm here to help lighten the stigma and build your can of confidence. Download episodes now of Casually Baked the Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And journey with me through the evolving cannabis culture and discover how and why people like you are adding cannabis to their wellness toolkit. It's time to get Casually Baked.